Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Rostein. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. And that leads us to today's topic. Hi, my name's Helene. I'm calling from Sacramento. Um, I had a quick question about literacy in young kids. Um, I have a nephew. He's about 13 months old, and um, we keep reading with him, but all he does is chew on his book, and I don't think he's really getting anything out of it. Should he be reading, or should we wait until a little bit later? Oh my gosh, what a good question. I think he's getting something out of it. How many calories are there in a book? He's <laughs> oh, chewing on it. Uh, as a book nerd myself, I'm very surprised we haven't talked about reading yet. I know, and it's really perfect timing because when we're recording this right now, kids are getting back to school. Right. And we all know that early literacy is an essential part of kindergarten or really just school readiness. So I'm so excited to introduce our guest on today's podcast, Dr. Jess Huang. And Dr. Jess is a pediatrician at UC Davis Children's Hospital, and she has a passion for early literacy and reading, and she's done research on this subject. Dr. Jess, thank you so much for coming on Kids Considered today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. All right. So, Dr. Jess, I think before we jump into early exposure to reading and literacy and bedtime stories and all that good stuff and why it's so critical for the development of young minds— I would love to have you share your story of what made you so passionate about this topic. Would you mind sharing it with some of our listeners? No, not at all. You know, um, my family and I moved to the United States when I was fairly young. I was just turning seven at the time, and I actually didn't speak any English at all. And my parents used to just leave my sisters and I at the library on the weekend and, you know, while they were working. And I think that's really where my love for reading started. The librarians knew us as the three girls who were always sitting on the steps, just reading our books while we were waiting for our parents to pick us up. And I read all the time. And I don't recommend this to anyone, but I used to, you know, in class, instead of reading the textbook, I actually had a book under my textbook and was actually (laughs) reading there. And when I'm walking between classes, I would used to read a book as well, even going up and down the stairs. So I don't recommend it, but I definitely was reading all the time. But, you know, I think that's how I actually learned English pretty quickly as well. You're really a devoted reader from an early age and even with the language challenge that you had. Yeah, walking up the stairs, that sounds a little dangerous. I agree with you. Maybe not recommend that, but that's Uh such an amazing story. And it really highlights the impact of reading and how it can have on learning languages and developing new skills and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Jess, we're going to focus on literacy development with one specific age group, right? Yeah, you know, I thought we could talk about early literacy, uh, which usually we're talking about kids under five years of age. And this is before they start kindergarten. Right. This is such a critical time for developing the skills they need for school and later down the line, but also such a difficult age to get a kid to sit still and actually listen to you read a book. Yeah. Making sure your kid develops these skills can be really influential in how you read to them, too. And you will learn that they don't necessarily need to stay still to get all the benefits of reading. You know, there's some statistics from the National Center for Education, and they found that there's a higher percentage of children who can recognize letters, count to 20, write the names, if they were just read to at least three times a week compared to the children who weren't read to uh, for that amount of time. Wow. Those are really critical skills that you mentioned, like counting to 20, recognizing letters and writing their names. Those are so critical for school readiness. 
Yeah, and you know, they found that the children who are at risk for reading difficulties are the ones who are starting school with much lower verbal skills, less phonological awareness, less letter knowledge, and less familiarity with the process of reading. That's really impressive, and it's clear that reading to your kids at least three times a week should be encouraged. Yeah, and the more the better when it comes to reading out loud to your little ones. You can develop a routine like brush, book, and then go to bed every night. That's ideal. I love that. Brush, book, bed. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. And we touched on that routine with our dental hygiene episode. Oh, yeah. That's the brush component of the brush, book, and bed. (laughs) Right. So the more kids that that are read to, the more likely they are to be ready to learn. But how about kids who are in preschool or other daycare programs? Do they have the same reading opportunities? Yeah, you know, there's many preschools that do things like story time uh, every day, which is fantastic. And these are the kind of programs that parents should look into when they're choosing early childcare. You know, sadly, um, what we're finding is that 39% of children in the United States ages 3 to 5 years old are actually not enrolled in nursery school, preschool, or kindergarten. And by the time these kids get to kindergarten, 35% of them are not prepared to learn. Wow, so that actually sounds like a big problem. Based on what you're saying, that many kids are not in preschool, and I can imagine that they're not going to preschool for a variety of reasons, probably one being that it's extremely expensive Uh for some families, or maybe they could only go for, like, some programs are only a half day, and parents don't have transportation, they're working, there's lots of different reasons. Um, And so you would see that this may disproportionately affect those lower-income families. Is that what they're seeing? Yeah, you're exactly right about that. There's many studies that have shown that children living in poverty are 1.3 times more likely to have developmental delays, 1.4 times more likely to be diagnosed with a learning disability, and twice more likely to repeat a grade. And these are children from lower-income families. Those are real significant differences with real impacts on children. Yeah, and these kids are far less likely to be read to on a daily basis, with low-income status significantly predicting child's exposure to language. Oh, yeah. So... I think you probably know this study too, but there was some really impressive study that was done quite a while ago. Dr. Dean, maybe, actually, you were probably done with training when this was done, (laughs) but it was a study about um, word exposure and language development in low-income families versus professional families. Right, and that study was done by Hart and Risley, and it was in the 1990s, and they found that children in professional homes would hear an average of more than 2,000 words per hour compared to approximately 600 words per hour in those raised in welfare homes. Wow. So that's what they had referred to as the 30 million word gap. So that what that what that means is that by three years of age, this was the word discrepancy that children from the wealthiest homes heard versus the poorest family. So 30 million more words were heard by three years of age. Yeah, 30 million words. I mean, that's really an alarming numbers. And the number of words per hour more than double the number of words for kids from professional homes. So this is even more concerning because one out of every five children in the U.S lives in poverty. Right. And while obviously these stats are alarming and disheartening, I personally, like I always am, am optimistic. Mm -hmm, You are. (laughs) Because if you think about it, words are free, right? So regardless (laughs) of anyone's background or financial status, people can talk to their kids. They can point out everything in their environment, colors, flowers, animals, Look at what that's doing. Look, this is a blue sweater. You're wearing a red tie. Everybody, you can describe what you're doing, how you're solving problems out loud, and this can stimulate your child. In similar ways to reading aloud, it's an added benefit. 
Words are free. That's a great words one. Words are free. So, like, big words don't cost more than small oh, no, words. No, no, no. They don't. <laughs> okay. Words are free. Okay, so let's not forget about public libraries. And Dr. Jess, you mentioned going to a library. And, um, you know, in my family, there's people who work in the library. They're librarians. And so I have great respect for librarians. They can be really amazing resources for not only free books, but other programs, too. Yeah, I completely agree. Librarians can really help parents find age-appropriate books. A lot of libraries will have story times and reading hours, all of which are free. And for families who maybe want more information about English as a second language course, libraries are a good place to start because they might either have classes there or have just more information about where they can go. Yeah, that's a really awesome insight. And I'm really glad you brought up age-appropriate books because this is something that parents need to know about. I was going to a two-year-old's birthday party a couple weekends ago, and I was looking for a book. And every time I was like, is this appropriate for a two-year-old? Like, it it was about, like, I think it was written by Hillary Clinton. She does, like, <laughs> she does some children's books. And I'm uh-huh. like, this doesn't necessarily seem like I think this is a little advanced, but they'll mm-hmm. grow into it. So I think that this is really important to talk about. How do parents know if books are age-appropriate? So we're not going to start out with, like, War and Peace. Maybe that's not the best book to start with. But, you know, um, so when you think about different age groups, so for instance, some of the little ones and newborns up to four months, it actually doesn't really matter what the content of the book is. It's kind of exactly what you were saying, just reading to them. So uh, reading any book that the parents like can just automatically enhance their exposure to language. So maybe War and Peace is fine after all, Mm -hmm. but maybe hold off on reading out loud Fifty Shades of Grey. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, when you think about the kids from 6 to 12 months old, you know, board and cloth books, those are great for them because they will like to chew them, just kind of like how what their family who called in earlier. Yeah, it's like a normal developmental stage, right? Exactly. And at this age, I'm guessing smaller books are easier for those little hands to hold. Exactly. And babies love nursery rhymes. Bright colors, pictures of faces, pictures of other babies, pictures of just familiar objects. And some examples are the Richard Scarry's Cars and Trucks from A to Z, Smile by Roberta Gerbel and Treader. Mm-hmm. So chewing books, that's really great. And, you know, at this age, really, everything is going into the mouth. And, of course, from my line of work, I'm like always, you know, hopefully the books are like washable and you can clean them. <laughs> always concerned about germs, this mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. And, you know, when your baby is between 12 to 24 months, you can start to have uh, board books that uh, start to have rhyming uh, themes in them, picture books or books that name things. That really makes sense, because at that age, they're likely able to identify those objects and be able to name them themselves. So books with questions built in, like, where's the monkey? What does the monkey say? What does the monkey eat? Right. And some examples for the age group, you might think about um, the Clifford's Animal Sounds um, by Norman Bridewell. There's a Hide and Seek by Odette Ross. There's Polar Bear by Bill Martin and Eric Carls. Um, there's also Caroline Jane's Church, You Are My Sunshine. So Perfect. So how about two to three-year-olds? This age, it seems like they are starting to love and ask for story time at night. Yeah, and, you know, start to have um, books that are actually telling stories. And Five Little Monkeys is a good one. The Five Little Monkeys Jumping on the Bed. I one think fell a lot down of us, and bonked his head. Exactly. I think a lot of us can remember that one. Um, and then there's Margaret Rice Brown, uh, Goodnight Moon. 
Good Night Moon is really a, a classic, and there's some great parodies of it, too. Uh, yeah, there are. There so, are really good ones. So we're getting near Halloween, and there's a topical one that's a parody of Good Night Moon, Good Night Goon by Michael Rex. <laughs> yeah, that one's really cute. Maybe not the best for your kid that has a true fear of monsters hiding under the bed. Right. <laughs> so, Dr. Jess, how about for three-year-olds? So you can start to have paperback books at this point. Pick very simple stories with characters, simple vocabulary, books with beginning, middle, end. You might start thinking about picking books books that talk about going to school or daycare. And one example is P.D. Eastman, Big Dog, Little Dog. This is great because it, it helps um, prepare them for going to school themselves to kind of role play, and it introduces the concept. Yeah, and as they're starting to get a little bit older, then you can start to think about more challenging vocabulary words, especially for those four-year-olds. And then you can start to think about storyline that has more abstract content, so like fairy tales and legends, stone Soup is a good example for this age group. Oh, yeah. Stone Soup is a great book. I've read that one. Yeah, I remember reading that one much later. But yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then when we're talking about your five-year-old, they're going to start to enjoy books with a lot more words on the page, a lot more challenging vocabulary. So you can pick books that has a lot less picture and the stories are longer. So you might think about maybe A Bear Ate It by Robbie Harris or Mufara by John uh, Steptoe. That's another great one. Uh, you know, I like books with pictures, but all these book recommendations are great. And we'll compile a list and put them on our website. That would be really helpful for the parents. And, you know, for parents, they can also go to their American Academy of Pediatrics website where there's a list of age-appropriate books as well. Okay, and we'll post that on our website, mm-hmm. too. This list that Dr. Jess is talking about is so amazing because it also lists books by topic for for older kids. So they have lists of different books about adoption or death of a loved one or toilet training or that very hard conversation, where does a baby come from? Mm-hmm. And so many more um, awesome, awesome resources for parents. After she sent it to me, I was like, I need to make a copy of this to give it to every parent in clinic. It, it's that good. The stork brings a baby, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We'll go into that one at a later date. (laughs) (laughs) And remember that librarians are amazing resources as well. So if parents um, are not able to access this list, when they go to a library, they can also just ask the librarians to help them find developmentally appropriate books for their child. Yeah, so I'm really convinced, and I'm sure many parents are aware how important it is to read to young children, really to read to them from the moment they're born, probably even before they're born. That's a good point, because we know that newborns come out actually with the ability to recognize their mother's voice, so it can't start to hurt talking out loud, reading even while pregnant. So we've talked a little bit about screen time before in a Mm -hmm. previous episode. So is there any research on if reading on a tablet counts, or does it have to be an old-fashioned book? That is a great point, because we all know that so much is done on tablets these days, and you could think that it might be slightly more interactive, like if it's like, where's the duck? And you point to the duck, it could quack or something. I I didn't see this, but it could potentially be a little bit more engaging, so to speak. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think a lot of parents will ask about that. You know, there's a lot more research looking to digital literacy, and this is there's still ongoing research, but there do seem to be benefit to reading on iPads. But, you know, we would talk to the parents about you do need to be more actively engaged, and the material um, from the iPad should still be age appropriate, and it shouldn't be substituting um, reading from a book. Right, so more in addition to. And we could really go into that tech-based childhood learning in a whole episode, so let's keep that one in our back pocket. We've talked a lot about how parents can increase their kids' success for school by reading early and frequently, what books are appropriate for different ages. 
But you spend a lot of time specifically training us pediatricians about how to make sure we are talking to parents about this early and often. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, part of the reason I'm so passionate about that is, you know, as pediatricians, we really have the privilege of seeing the children at least 10 times before they start kindergarten. And that's if the parents are coming to all the well child checks between six months and five years old. So we have so many opportunities where we can evaluate the language skills of the kids. We can see how the parents are interacting with the child and we can make Make sure parents have all the tools and resources they need to make sure their kids are ready for kindergarten by the time they turn five. So many pediatricians may participate in a program called Reach Out and Read, and I know that I've seen that in a lot of the clinics where we work. Mm -hmm. And so this is a, a program where the pediatricians will actually give your child a book at each visit and talk about reading. Yeah, and Reach Out and Read is one of their literacy programs that's very well studied, has 20 years of research that's demonstrating effectiveness in promoting literacy in child's home and helping them to develop the language skills. And their website also has a lot of helpful information for both pediatricians and parents and going back to having a list of appropriate books, they have that as well. But another really helpful thing they have on the website is they have this charts about expected milestones for children at different age groups. And that's really helpful, I think, for parents to see that the kids should have different developmental skills at a different age. Um, and then if parents are interested in more about the research behind reading and brain development, all of that information is there. Wow, perfect. So we will also post a link to that on our website. One thing we wanted to mention that's um, for local people here is a toll-free number, or I guess anyone could call the toll-free mm -hmm. number. Um, it's 866-241-7490. We'll also post that on our website. And this is an awesome link that's put on by our local library, the Sacramento Public Library in California. And it's called Dial a Story. So families can call this number anytime. And there will be a story. Um, it lasted how long? I listened to it a few nights ago. It maybe lasts like three to five minutes, and it will read a book um, out loud, and that changes weekly. So it's really fun. Wow, that's really um, interesting. So the library has stories in Spanish as well as English, by the way. Mm. See, Dr. Jess, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, there are some libraries that will have story times in different languages. Uh -huh. So, um, Dr. Jess, thank you so much for joining us on Kids Considered today. I know that I learned a lot, and let's summarize the main points. So reading out loud and really living your life out loud and talking to your kids in an engaging and stimulating way is critical to prepare your little ones to one day be ready for school. So children that were read three times or more in a week were more likely to have critical skills for kindergarten, including recognizing numbers, counting, writing their name. The importance of reading needs to be stressed for children living in poverty who may start at a disadvantage and have more barriers to overcome to keep up with their peers. And there are different types of books that are appropriate for each stage of development, and we're going to post a complete list on our website. And there are so many amazing resources in our communities, public libraries, story times, dial-in stories. So let's aim for all Kids Considered listeners' kids to hear an average of more than 2,000 words per hour. And that reminds me of a joke. Uh-oh. Okay, so why was the dinosaur afraid to go to the library? Oh, I don't know. His books were 65 million years overdue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That wraps up today's episode of Kids Considered. Once again, thank you to Dr. Jess for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. 
So, you know, when I entered United States, I wasn't quite at the age where I was reading some of the books that I actually recommended, but yeah. I grew up reading all the Harry Potter series, mm. so I definitely was part of those yeah, group of people. Yeah, you were the fan club, mm-hmm. Harry Potter fan, <laughs> fan club. What, read I all also, the books, watch all the movies. <laughs> yeah, I also loved Harry Potter. The book that got me really into reading, though, and I also wasn't at this age, although I, my parents, we always had tons of books and were read too, um, but it was Holes. You remember that book, Holes? Because I remember it just being a really, like, good storyline and being, like, I remember not being able to put it down. Like, it was my first experience with, like, just wanting to sit and get through a full book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I... I grew up with like the classics, right? The, the little engine that could, and um, uh, no, don't know. No, 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 no. Curious George. Yes, yes, like, yes. Okay. Like, who was that man in the yellow hat? Anyway, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of mysterious to me. Like, did he have a job? <laughs> I think I need to revisit Curious George, but I do remember the man in the yellow hat. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. One thing we touched on was talked about librarians, and you know, when I grew up, I didn't know much about librarians. Like, you, you'd go to the library and you'd goof around and stuff. But you know, as an adult, my my um, stepmother's a librarian, and the stories that she tells about the library and the way that they're able to help people and kids. My sister-in-law, Jody, she's a children's librarian, and I got to observe her doing story time. She's fantastic the way that she would engage the kids. And you really wouldn't think of a group of, like, three- or five-year-olds as being quiet. But they were, like, you know, rapt attention. So the story times are just wonderful for people to go to their public libraries. And- That's great. Yeah, and there are even some bookstores that volunteers will come and once a month will do story time as well. And it's just great for the kids, exactly like that, that the three-year-olds that you never see sitting still. And then when they're hearing a story and if the volunteer is actually being very engaging, they are captive. (laughs) True. So, yeah, those are all great ideas. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcast. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital.